This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 701, Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, August the 7th. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. This is episode 701. It's our comic reviews episode for the week of releases from Wednesday the 7th of August. This is, uh, you can very gently say this is late. Um, So this week, uh, let's jump right in. Um, So releases from the week of Wednesday the 7th of of August. Um, A lot of books actually came out that week, including uh, Agents of Atlas, number one, uh, the fourth chapter of Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, volume three. Uh, There was the new issue of Batman, uh, Black Cat, Champions, Cosmic Ghost Rider Destroys Marvel History. I believe that's the last issue. Uh, another issue of Daredevil by Chip Zdarsky. Got Dead Man Logan, Doom Patrol, Future Foundation having its launch. A new issue of Mortal Hulk, Justice League, Lois Lane, Major X, Marvel Comics Number 1, the 80th Anniversary Edition. You got Old Man Quill, Savage Avengers, Sinestro Year of the Villain, Star Wars, Superman Up in the Sky, The Dreaming, uh, Green Lantern, and, oh, sorry, The Green Lantern, and The Punisher. Uh, so that is, that's a lot of books. Uh, so what did I read from August the 7th? Well, first up, um, it's not hard to say that this is the biggest release because just in terms of page count, it is. Um, you have Absolute Carnage number one. And I, um, I I love this. I thought this was great. Uh, it's written by Donny Cates, artwork by Ryan Stegman, and uh, J.P. Meyer doing the inks, and Frank Martin doing the colors. And this is... Um, this is a horror comic. This is, you know, a big event, but it manages, it manages to kind of be everything. Um, the artwork is just phenomenal. Stegman continues to be just uh, an amazing illustrator. Um, there's just some great... It's so, some, There's a lot of great pacing here. Um, when Spider-Man kind of comes into uh, the story, it, it's such an interesting perspective to kind of... You have this dark, dirty Venom story, and then they're going to bring Spider-Man into it. And just seeing the impact of bringing Spider-Man down into the dark, into this world, is really something. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's like reading three issues in one, but they're just so phenomenally interesting and fascinating and um, there's just such a breakneck pace and you have so many pages but you want it to be longer you want it to be more um, and, you, and you just want it to not be over and uh, yeah this is a great beginning I mean you have uh, Carnage is looking for you know the, the pieces of symbiotes that are in all the other um, people who have uh, been symbiote bearers at some point um, you have you know Carnage is crazier and more messed up and, and scary visually than ever before. Um, you know, it's bringing Spidey and Venom together. I mean, they often come together to fight Carnage, but nothing like this, nothing looking this creepy and scary. Um, and the, 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 uh, what's it called? The stakes just feel so high. Uh, the book feels claustrophobic. It feels like you can't get away. Um, instead of it just kind of being this, you know, kind of this, it's interesting when you read something like this, it makes you think of, and I think this is probably intentional, but I mean, Maximum Carnage was kind of bloodless for the most part, considering how bloody the story actually was in terms of how many people were supposed to be dying. And you had this, you know, Carnage on the rampage and people turning against each other and being amplified by Shriek and all that. And then you read this and this is like, wow. Okay. So this is what that book would feel like if it was done now, um, in terms of like the, the, the art being so viciously violent and, uh, having crazy details to it and really accentuating things that you couldn't have done back in like 93 or 92 or whenever, um, Maximum Carnage was and but then you add like this crazy horror element so instead of it just being about superheroes fighting each other um you it, it's a lot more monstrous and unsettling and uh it's phenomenally interesting and entertaining and the art by Stegman is just so good um i'm really excited to read every chapter of this event and see how crazy it gets 
Um, I will say I've already read another, not uh, obviously Absolute Carnage, but the, like one of the other kind of tie-in books or one-shots, and it was one of the most unsettling uh, reads I've ever had. And I uh, even tweeted the the creators kind of saying that, and um, yeah, no, it was. Anyways, we'll, we're going to get to that. That'll be on a, I think next week's episode, uh, which will really just be a few days from now because it'll be like books from. I guess what the 14th of August, so we'll try and get that out before uh, new books come out on the 21st. So you'll be getting that in, in a couple of days anyway. Um, but this is this is really good, absolute carnage. I would give God. I, I don't even know if I've ever gone like nine, nine and a half. Like I think I would give it a nine and a half out of ten. It was uh, very rereadable. It was, has just amazing art. Um, again, a very claustrophobic but exciting story. Uh, next up is. <laughs> I don't even know how I'm going to rate this. Um, uh, we've got House of X, number two. Uh, this is written by Jonathan Hickman, artwork by Pepe Larraz, color art by uh, Marte Garcia, and letters by Virtual Calligraphy's Clayton Cowles. So a book like this, I would say there's very little plot progression, if any, um, in terms of where we started the story in the first issue. That being said, I didn't care. There's pages of text here. There's like... There's a timeline at the end. This issue, I mean, I'm spoiling it anyway, but it was I found absolutely fascinating and makes me all the more intrigued for where this is going to go. Like the first two issues, uh, respectively, sorry, the first issue of House of X and Powers of Ten were good, but they didn't blow me away. And then I got to House of X 2, and I was just like, holy shit. And what's more interesting to me is that at the very end of the issue, and it, and it says like the reading order, um, which makes, which is interesting because it's, uh, and they obviously changed the um, release dates to accor- accordingly. We got House of X 1, then Powers of 10 1, then House of X 2, Powers of 10, of ten two. 2. Uh, then they switch it and go to Powers of 10 3 first, then back to House of X, and then back to House of X 4, Powers of 10 4. Uh, and so it's, it's normally, but for whatever reason, they switch those issues only. Everything else is kind of back to normal. And what's interesting is that House of X 2 is kind of flagged as being red. And so is House of X-5 and Powers of 10-6. And given how crazy this issue was and how it really changes things, I'm wondering, what does that mean for House of X-5? What does that mean for Powers of 10-6? I'm so invested. Here we find out that Mormon McTaggart, token human, and every X-Men story, especially in the Claremont Age, all along was a mutant. Um, they had a very unique. Um, and you, you read the first page here, and you're like, "All right, you, you see Moira. You're guessing it's Moira McTaggart, but you're not really sure." She grows up, marries, has kids, has a good human life, and then dies. And then you're like, "Her second life began in utero," and you're like, "Wait, what the fuck?" Um, so she relives her lives again and remembers everything, and she's had multiple lives, and now she's on her tenth life, and. That is so fascinating, and there's a whole exchange here with like Mystique and this Destiny, which is pretty like chilling and pretty crazy. And the idea that these two characters kind of counter- counteract each other in some way that you know you, uh, Moira has to watch out because you know even if she has all these memories, uh, Destiny is always going to see her coming, um, which is kind of crazy. And uh, Destiny kind of gives the idea, and, and definitely it's Destiny that gives the story stakes because she basically says that you may have 10 or 11 lives, but that's it. I don't say anything else. Um, so she kind of knows that she has a limit on lives, and then we start to see snippets of what these lives are, and it's crazy and very exciting. And 
you know, just seeing like a shot of Marmor Taggart uh, or Moira, whatever you want to call her, Moira X, and having an entire bloodline, or sorry, timeline where or seventh life where she just eradicates the trash bed lo- uh, bloodline and just like goes around like murdering people, and that's pretty fucking crazy and not how you'd ever been used to looking at Moira McTaggart. Um, there's a few things that it made me think of though, is that like, and, and how many of these realities does she become a McTaggart and why would she even bother with becoming a McTaggart and having Proteus? Like, I'm curious about that or what, how that will be rectified. Um, but it's interesting because it's really the only life where she meets Joseph McTaggart and that becomes part of her life. Um, I believe, yeah. So I'm really excited to see where they go with this. Um, what is very fascinating is, um, and they, uh, Hickman has said that they made a mistake on the on the timeline, is that at the very end you have um, the two of the years are kind of um, uh, interspersed. They're supposed to be the other way around, where you see the genocide of Genosha, which is the beginning of the Grand Morrison run, and you have Moira faking her death, and that's a big fucking like, whoa, wait a minute, excuse me. She faked her death. She's not actually dead. Like, she's still alive. We haven't seen her in current continuity in, like, 18 years. So she's really alive this whole time. And it was this whole thing, again, from a plot progression standpoint, this moves the plot ahead not one iota. It really doesn't. Um, that being said, it gives more context to a scene in Powers of 10 number 1 and rewrites continuity in a way that adds, doesn't subtract, and doesn't necessarily, to, you know invalidate anything although i'm curious how it's all going to work and how what's what it's all going to end up meaning but so far i'm in i'm invested i cared i was excited um i was telling everyone to read the issue so i'm going to give it a nine and a half out of ten i guess that's two in a row because i've loved both issues and last but not least is an issue i liked but i'm not going to give it a nine and a half uh it was the sensational spider-man uh self-improvement uh this is issue one well, it's a one-shot, so it's only one issue. I uh, got Burn Job by Peter David, based on a plot by Randy Schuler. Uh, pencils by Rick Leonardi. This is part of the 80 Years of uh, Marvel. And then we have With No Power, script, plot, and pencils by Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends, with inks by Sal Buscema, and colors by Chris Sotomayor. Um, what's interesting is that on the background of the like the, the page on self-improvement, it's the cover of an issue of Sensational Spider-Man uh, that was part of Media Blizzard, which is, I guess, Sensational Spider-Man number one, the original. And that's just a weird choice for a background. I'm curious who came up with that and, and why. Um, the story is not the best. It's kind of forgettable, but the, the main story... Um, with, you know, Spider-Man gets a, a black costume, it's a little bit different, it has different abilities, and he goes out and has to have a, a mission with it, and ends up deciding he doesn't want it. Um, it's based on, you know, Randy Schuler's original pitch to, for Spider-Man to get a, costu- a different costume. It's it's a fun, uh, you know, kind of practice, but... Uh, or exercisers to say, but it's not a great issue, but or but it's it's fine. And then we have uh, a great little um, ten-page story by Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. Because if you're going to get anyone to do a Spider-Man ten-page story, I think it has to be them because they can do concise, quick, amazing, great story. And you have you know Spider-Man saving someone just you know just who almost fell uh, during uh, from a construction rig. Then he sees um, a drive-by. And he tries to get involved and, you know, try and, you know, take out these bad guys. Um, and then the person who, you know, almost lost someone uh, came to, or sorry, who did die in the drive-by, comes to try and, you know, rectify things. And Spider-Man kind of tries to convince him that about power and responsibility and what that really means. Um, 
and it's really interesting and I really liked it and it's really kind of haunting at the end too like you have uh, the guy walking away from Spider-Man and just says you're talking about the guilt man how am I supposed to live with it tell me the truth does it ever go away and just Spider-Man just kind of stands there and it's you know it's it's, it's really you know emotionally impacting because it feels like you know what, what's your response there like it's I thought it was really interesting I really liked it I actually own the last page now um, I bought it from Ron Friends um I just love his art, and the fact that he had brand new Ron Friends art in a Spider-Man comic of some kind, uh, inked by Sabasema, had to jump on that. Um, yeah, no, it was the best part of this one shot. Um, the main story was kind of like you know seven out of ten, but I thought the the backup was more, secondary story. Backup is it feels like I'm not giving it enough credit, but a ten page story, very enjoyable. I feel like I would give it like you know more like a nine. Um, so overall, I'm going to give the issue maybe a seven and a half. Um, but uh, you know it's worth picking up if you just want that. You know, and again, the main story isn't bad. It's just you know it, it's just kind of there. It doesn't really push anything forward, and it's kind of a uh, not an else world. It's kind of like a what if. So it's you know not that all Spider-Man stories quote unquote count, but it doesn't count. <laughs> you know, like you can't even kind of uh, squint and pretend it takes place in the six one six. It just doesn't, um, or it just doesn't vibe that way. Um, anyways, that's uh, that's everything for the releases from the week of um, the 7th of August. So I've only talked about three books, but uh, two of those were really good books, and I really like the 10-page story and Sensational Spider-Man Self-Improvement. Uh, looking forward to releases on August 14th, which I'll be talking about in an upcoming episode that I might even record in about 10 minutes. Uh, we got Batman and the Outsiders, Batman Universe, Black Hammer, Justice League, Hammer of Justice, Captain Marvel, Catwoman, Detective Comics, Event Leviathan, Fantastic Four, Gwenpool Strikes Back, excited to read that. Invaders, Ironheart, Loki, Miles Morales, uh, Spider-Man, Punisher, Kill Crew, Silver Surfer, Black, Silver Surfer, The Prodigal Son, Symbiote, Spider-Man, I think that's the last issue, The Flash, Titans, Burning Rage, and Wonder Woman, as well as, and these ones I know for sure I'm going to be talking about because I've already read them, uh, Absolute Carnage, Separation, Anxiety, fantastic, Amazing Spider-Man 27, Absolute Carnage, Scream, Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man number 10, and Powers of 10 number 2. So I'll be talking about that in our next Reviews episode. Thank you for listening to the Comic Shenanigans podcast as we begin the Long March to episode 800. Uh, and uh, you can always email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.